0: Well, hello. This is Eric Fisher, and this is another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This week, I am very privileged to talk to a guy who sat at his kitchen table five years ago and knew from his first 200-word blog post he would help build two kindergartens in Vietnam, lead him to audiences of millions of people, write four books, and join Dave Ramsey's team. Welcome, John Cuff.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric.
0: All of that is factually true, but none of that is stuff you knew was going to happen at that uh, point.
1: No way. Uh-uh. I had no idea. Anybody who says they did is a liar.
0: But we were recording today on April 1st, and so I figured I'd throw a little bit of an April Fool's in there. However, I'm going to go ahead and make an April Fool's prediction I think will come true, and that is that your book Start, that's coming out in three weeks, is going to be a bestseller.
1: Hey, awesome. Thanks, man. The main thrust of
0: the book is just talking about these five seasons. And can you elaborate on what those seasons are?
1: Sure. And I don't feel like I created them. I feel like I labeled them. By that, I mean, I think they've always existed. And so basically, the concept is that every successful life, every awesome life, to use the word that I use, goes through the same five stages. And they used to be based on your age. And so in your 20s, you went through a time of learning where you didn't know who you were, what you're all about. You tried a 100 different things, moved cities and jobs and maybe majors, and that was your 20s. In your 30s, you went through a time of editing, where you said, I tried these 100 things, these 10 made the most sense. It's the first time, if you're in your 30s, you actually edit relationships. You realize, I can't be best friends with everybody. It's okay for some relationships to stay shallow. In your 40s, you go through a time of mastering. You make the most money in your career. Your relationships go the deepest. You say, I did 100 things in my 20s, 10 things in my 30s. These two are the ones I want to do in my 40s. In your 50s, you enter in this time of harvesting, where all those decisions you've made start to come home. And in your 60s, you go through a time of guiding. Now, fortunately, it's no longer about your age. It's no longer about when you were born. It's now about when you decided to live. And that's a unique experience because throughout the dawn of time, it's been about your age, but- because of a couple factors, one being social media and the internet, two being that retirement is dead, you know, we won't work at a job for 30 years and get a gold watch and then three that hope is boss. This generation wants to change the world now, not eventually. So now you can be 45 years old and your industry disappears and you're 22 again and you get to go through learning. You can be 24 years old and already be in a mastering stage cuz you started earlier. So the book really hits home at How do you walk that road? Because you can't skip stages, but you can shorten them by making some wise, simple decisions.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and one of the things that I really liked about the book was, is in much more detail than you just did, you unpack every single one of those five stages and what they're all about, what it used to look like, what it looks like now. But then you also, in the back of the book, have this practical action steps portion of the book that you put back there so that you can, you know, jump back and do your workbook portion, so to speak, and then jump back in and read more of the story.
1: Well, yeah, one of the things, you know, I, I work for a guy named Dave Ramsey, who's on the radio and TV and everywhere. And he always tells me, John, inspiration without instruction is useless. And so I always try to be very deliberate about going, okay, hey, here's some ideas, here's some motivation, but at the end of the day, action changes the world, not just talk. So here's some specific steps that I've taken that I think could help you. And so yeah, we I, I really try to be deliberate about that because you and I have read the same books that are exciting and fun, but they make you do all the work. They go. Hey, here's, here's how to change. Woo! And then there's no steps and you go, I feel really motivated, but I don't know what to do next. The, I've had people read the back half and say, Hey, my favorite section was the 10 ideas about being unemployed, you know, and that, that really helped me or the part about social media or the part. So I tried to have it not just be, you know, something that was fun and shiny, but actually was practical.
0: Dude, the section in the back on social media. 'Cause I do social media for my day job. That's gonna change my life as much as the rest of the book. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, for me, it felt weird to say social media is really valuable and really awesome. Good luck. You know? So again, Dave was constantly challenging me, going, Okay, well, where's the you say this thing, where's the where's the support, where's the proof, where's the help? And so yeah, I I really, you know, really proud of what the team ended up creating with this book and I'm excited to release it.
0: But all in all, while you're talking about these stages and even the practical action steps, you're sharing a lot of principles that are true, but you're also talking about applications that are flexible. So it's not just your experience about how it worked right for you, but you split off and and you even refer to this at some point where you talk about, uh, you know, don't beat yourself up if you're a bird reading a book about how to be a fish.
1: You understand that because you've read some of the same books where you read a book about goal setting. It'll say you have to set 32-step goals. And then if you're not a detailed person, like if that's not your heart and I tell you the only way to do this successfully is to do this, then it really puts you in a weird place. And so what I always encourage people is be a student of you. And by that, I mean, read this book, read any book you read through the filter of you, your strengths, your weaknesses, your your current opportunities. And so for me, when I say, hey, be selfish at 5 a.m., get up at 5 a.m. and hustle, I make the caveat. Hey, maybe your 5am is at 11pm. I don't know your schedule. I'm not going to force you to live according to mine. And so, yeah, I think you have to be a student of you and and read with that eye because otherwise you read somebody's book and they say, here's how you goal setting and it doesn't fit your life and you feel like you're a failure.
0: One of the principles that you do talk about, and I think this has to do with the the five stages, five seasons, is that there's a lot of overlap between the stages. They bleed into each other. These stages are now all kind of shuffled for all these different aspects of our lives. It's almost like if you apply these five stages or seasons to you know Zig Ziglar's Wheel of Life, you'd be in a different area or a different season in each area of the wheel almost.
1: The easiest point to make towards that is I would never tell you you can't guide until the end. The truth about guiding is guiding is about being one step ahead of somebody else and then reaching back to help them. So, you know, Eric, if you've done three podcasts, if you recorded three podcasts and I've never done any, you can help me. I wouldn't say to you, Eric, until you've had 10 years experience and 10,000 hours, don't you dare guide. So, so many of us feel like we don't get to do that. So, yeah. And then again, I'd never say once you're out of the land of learning, I don't want you to learn anymore. That'd be ridiculous. No, I hope that in every stage you're learning. And so you're right, they're they're flexible and there's not like a, a checklist where you go, now I am officially in editing, I need to put learning aside. No, they're much more organic than that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, another common attribute of all the five seasons is that you say that in each of those seasons, like you were just were basically saying, is you need to put in deposits of time.
1: Oh yeah, well, and that's the thing. I'll ask people, why aren't you dreaming? And they'll say, I don't have, you know, I've got a dream, but I don't have enough money. And the the reality is the first thing a dream costs is time, time and hustle. And if you'll figure out how to give more of that, your dream will move quicker. I mean, the scary thing is, Eric, that you and I work 168 more hours than people did 20 years ago, every year. So what that means is you and I work an extra month of work every year. So people are busy. I get that. I appreciate that. So a big part of the book is figuring out how do you rescue some time? How do you and I get in there and go, Okay, let me find some time?
0: And I know, you know, mutual friend of ours, Andy Traub, just released a book that's been instrumental in a ton of people's ways to just attack that in and of itself called Early to Rise. It's still out there. People should go grab that. And like you said. It's not just about, you know, finding the time first thing in the morning. It's not just being selfish at 5 a.m. It's being strategically selfish, I guess. Do it at 11 p.m. But one of the things that I found personally and then read in the book was that there's this issue of how much willpower you actually have, like a tank of that of some sort. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that was that was fascinating to me, and there's so many brilliant experts that have written about that. It, this was one of those, I'm a big, I try to be a learner, and I, I really got to learn from a lot of smart people about that. The concept is, and they've done a bunch of studies, and I, I note one particular study in there um, where sci- my favorite story, because it's so simple, scientists had people come into a laboratory, and they said, okay, hey, you first group, your job is to eat these warm chocolate chip cookies. There's a big bowl of them, do not touch the raw radishes. So greatest experiment ever. Like that was easy. The next group they brought in, they said, okay, your job is to not touch the cookies. You just have to stomach down some raw radishes. So then after that, they they came in and they said, hey, we're going to figure out the results. It'll take 20 minutes. Would you mind trying to solve this quiz? And that was actually the real test. And what they wanted to test was how long would people try to solve the quiz? And what they found was that people who had eaten the cookies – tried for 19 minutes before they gave up because the quiz had no solution. People who had eaten the radishes tried for nine minutes. And the reason is that they had already expended their willpower. They had already had to try to be good and work hard. And so they've done all these other studies relating that to, you know, why do businessmen make such bad decisions on the road? Now, clearly, this is not an excuse. It's just a contributing factor. But part of it is they've been on. They've been making presentations. They've been under stress all day. They don't need to go to that hotel bar their willpower is at a zero. Same with running. If you ask somebody, is it easier to run in the morning before work or run at the end of the day after you've come home from work? They'll go, no, it's harder at the end of the day. I feel empty. And so for me, that's why I'm a big believer in going, okay, how do we make the most sense of our most willpower?
0: And that's not to knock, you know, night owls because they could easily somehow get a ton of work done before bed and go to bed satisfied and wake up when they need to get ready for their day and look back and say, man, wasn't that an awesome time of work last night? The same way that people who are headed off to their job that got up at 5 a.m. Did their work just then before going, you know, and getting ready and going to work and whatever. It's the same thing. Again, it's still about strategically tapping into knowing your limit of your willpower. So well,
1: and even a night owl can be smart. You yeah. know, you might be a night owl, but if you watch two hours of TV before you do your thing, like mm-hmm. you can be a tired night owl or you can be a creatively exhausted night owl. So, yeah, I I think that there are people, you know, we have a mutual friend named Carlos that is a great night owl and he gets tons done at night, but he also has done some stuff in the morning too. So I think it's about figuring out your rhythm.
0: And that's one of those things. It's like when you're first getting started at trying to do your dream, th- that whole rhythm thing, you like me are very much a go nothing or go all in. Or you You term this as fear argues both sides of the coin where you don't do it at all or you do it all perfectly or you're either wasting time or trying to be impossibly perfect.
1: Yeah. And I think that fear is really tricky that way. And so again, it's that concept of fear will tell you, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And if you finally beat that lie and try to do it, it'll tell you, okay, if you're going to do it, it better be amazing. And you go, no, I, I hope not. I mean, it's funny. I I had lunch today with a friend and he was uh, talking about a project and it was the first of this type of project he'd done. And I, and I just encouraged him like, I hope it wasn't the best you'll ever do. Like everybody feels that pressure. I talk to college students in Nashville all the time that are doing their first album. They're like, I want it to be the best album. And I always think I want it to be your worst album. Like I'd hate for you to release your best one and then to progressively stink. Like I'd much rather you really, you know, do it the first time and then hopefully progressively get better.
0: I mean, that's the whole problem behind the sophomore slump right there is, oh, how are we going to top it?
1: Yeah. And it's terrifying. It's not easy. Somebody today would or I read an article the other day about that guy, Psy, that did the Gangnam Style. Right. And he's now represented by Justin Bieber's manager. And I just thought, man, that that poor guy's second single. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. All you have to do is break the record for YouTube. Oh, that, That'll be easy. That shouldn't be hard.
0: Yeah. It's just funny how how these voices, I mean, the the way that fear kind of takes on our own personal inner voice and then starts telling us stuff, you know, at 7.27 a.m., for example, that you're behind.
1: Yeah. I, and that's one of those common things that I'll ask people all the time. Have you ever on a Monday morning by 9 a.m. felt like the, the week was already ruined and everybody go, oh, I know that feeling. I go, that's a dumb feeling. Like you still have 99% of your week ahead of you. Why do we let fear tell us that? ah, uh, it's ruined. Just might as well go, to, go back to bed for six days.
0: Man, I mean, and it's scary. I mean, it is scary to execute on ideas. One of the things that, uh, for example, when I was at the Quitter Conference last September, I tweeted out a quote of yours. It was, 90% perfect and published always changes more lives than 100% perfect and stuck in your head. And it was like the most retweeted thing I've ever had. So thank you for that. But what was funny was For me, it's like I'm a person who's creating content and and you're, you know, obviously tweeting up a storm and blogging and and speaking and doing all this stuff. I got to ask, how do you figure out what your 90 percent is? Like, in other words, you know, to to use Seth Godin speak, how do you make sure we actually are publishing something without shipping crap?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a good point. Um, I think part of it is you have people around you that love you enough to tell you things you don't like to hear. You know, if you're if you're consistently producing bad stuff, you need a friend that that cares enough about you to go, hey, dude, I know you wanted to get done and get it up. But like that wasn't good. You know, and you go, oh, man, I didn't. Okay, you know, thanks for caring about me. And so but I think part of it, too, is you get in a rhythm and, and you take feedback. I mean, here's a great example. So when I started public speaking, I was practicing my speeches six to seven times. And I put this in the book and they started to feel mechanical and rehearsed. And a friend called me out on that and I didn't like hearing that, but he was right. And so part of the way I publish or I ship to quote Seth Godin is I listen to the calendar. Like, you know, the challenge with a blog, people always are like, I'm going to start a new blog and blog three times a day forever. And then on day three, they're like, the calendar keeps killing me. And so you and I have to ship like by 6am or 7am, I need a new blog post up. So I write it to the best of my abilities and then I and then I send it out. You gotta push that ship away from the, the dock at some point. The reality is you're gonna create some stuff that's not amazing. I don't care who you are, not every post you write is amazing. You can't write a blog 365 days a year and every day is amazing. There's a curve. Like somebody is the D student if you have 365 posts. And that's that's okay. And the create and you've experienced this. The crazy thing is there's times where I go. This post is the greatest thing I've ever written. And I have emptied my blood on the paper and people, oh, people are going to have their lives changed. And I release it and get zero comments and nobody retweets it. And then there's posts that I phone in that I just go, whatever. And that post blows up and people go, you wrote this for me. And so part of it is realizing that sometimes for you, what you think is junk is actually great for somebody else and vice versa. Well, okay, here's an example. The only post I've ever written that went viral, and by viral, I mean it, uh, it became a phrase people use outside of me. Like a lot of people use it, they don't even know it's mine, was um Jesus Juke. You know, I wrote about Jesus Jukes, and it became this phrase, and radio sh- shows do, you know, episodes based on it. And I didn't at the time think, here we go, world changing, this is going to be part of the vernacular. Like, I didn't think this would be on Urban Dictionary, but that was one that took off
0: one of the more popular episodes of this show was when I had Dan Miller on and we talked about five-year goals and kind of allowing yourself to dream. I've heard you say that when working on a dream, you need three things, a plan, time, and support. And we've kind of touched on some of that. Can we work through that a little?
1: Sure. The the time thing is, again, that's the currency that moves your dream forward fastest. You can have all the money in the world and no time, it doesn't matter. Time is the currency you need to get the most of. Um, As far as a plan, yeah, I, I love Dan Miller. That guy is a hustler. Like he, I mean, I hope to one day be doing the stuff that Dan Miller's doing. All the credit, all the coolness to Dan Miller. One of my things with plans is that you need to know where you're going, but you you don't have to know this finish line before you cross the starting line. So I always try to have a few moves planned ahead. And the example I used in Quitter is the extreme skier, who when asked, do you plan to remove from the top of the mountain, said, no way. i die. By the time I get to the fourth turn, I can see things that I couldn't see from the top. There's a cliff I I can see now. There's a tree. And so I always try to have four or five moves planned. Here's an example of my current year. I know April and May are all about book launch. I know that in the fall, we're going to have a massive event we haven't even announced yet. So I know around late May, June, like selling that out and preparing the content for that are going to be the big thing I do. Then I know, okay, so those are, those are two or three moves. I know my my fourth move will be The fall will be about that event and then speaking. Public speaking is about the spring and the fall. Nobody does a conference in the middle of July, really. Nobody invites me to speak at the church in Christmas. And so I'll do public speaking in the fall. And then the question for me becomes, what am I releasing in 2014? Because I won't have a major book. So is it events? Is it products? Is it? And so I roughly know that, but I don't have a step-by-step for the next 20 years. So that's the plan. And then the support. The support's about three circles as far as I'm concerned. And it's the circle of your spouse, if you're married. If you're not married, your middle circle just becomes your center circle. But if you are married, it goes spouse, middle circle is friends and family. And outer circle is other hustlers, other quitters, if you will, or other starters. And so those are the, you know, I'm very deliberate about trying to build those.
0: And then, of course, obviously, as you're doing planning stages and you know, you know, okay, this month and this month are for this and et cetera, like you're taking into account those decisions and what they impact and you're planning around that as well with like, you know, cause you, you travel like crazy. I mean, every time I turn on Twitter, you're on a plane basically is what, what it feels like at least. So. And I got to wonder what is your wife thinking, you know? So, or, or that, or you're watching, you know, television and tweeting yeah. it.
1: And I mean, I think part of it is Twitter is like a magnifying glass. It makes things feel bigger than they are. Yeah. But I mean, I'll, I'll certainly, it certainly goes through seasons, but I'll probably be on the road you know, 80 days this year tops maybe. And then part of it is I'll take my kids with me. So this summer I'll, I'll do four different, four different weeks of a camp and it's at the beach and my kids will come with me. And part of it is what's great about what I do is that it's in and out. So this week I'm going to go to Branson, Missouri, and I'm going to be there on Wednesday night and I'll come home Thursday night. And so the weekends are harder, but the weekdays I can, I can knock those out.
0: And so you're planning that, you're doing that, you're flying around and you're speaking. I know that, uh, okay, I got to ask this because you are doing a lot of tweeting and you're doing some scheduling as well as some live stuff and not just tweeting, Instagramming, Pinteresting, Facebook, not so much, but still there. And I got to ask, you're you're scheduling stuff, you're also content creating. How are you not just creating new content, but also scheduling to, how are you breaking up your time to spend your time on that?
1: Well, part of it is knowing when I have the right energy. Like if I'm tired, I can tweet, but I can't write books. And if I'm hyped, I need to write books or posts and not tweet. And then part of it too is I live tweeted the Bible series, for instance, that was an event, Mm -hmm. but I won't, you know, you won't see 20 or 30 tweets from me tonight. I might tweet once at seven o'clock and that's it. So just knowing that it's a season and that it's, you know, Jenny and I know that I'll travel more during this season than I normally would because we're releasing a book. July won't be like this. Um, and so I try to balance that out and then, and just realizing you don't get to do it all. Nobody would accuse me of being really actively involved in Facebook. And it's not that I don't like Facebook. It's just that I have limited amount of time. And I like Twitter more than Facebook right now. And so I don't get it all done. There's things I, I definitely don't get done, and Facebook's one of them.
0: Speaking of kind of mixing time management with energy management and being strategic about both, I know you're, again, sucker punching the mornings at 5 a.m. I ask a question of all my guests, and it's this. In an ideal world, how do you start your day?
1: Um, I would probably start it with a, a meetup or I'd start it with a breakfast with somebody. That's encouraging to me. And then after that, I would go and I'd write somewhere quiet for three hours or so. Maybe four hours, and I'd do two shifts of ninety minutes of work, and then I'd uh, and then I'd come into the office, and I'd do a couple meetings. Um, I'd I'd probably jog four to six miles at some point in there. I'd maybe have lunch with my wife um, in downtown Franklin, and, and then I'd go home, and we'd have dinner, and we'd do a, a lap around the neighborhood.
0: Sounds like Sounds a great day.
1: day. It's it's close to today. I didn't I didn't do a meeting this morning, but. I had lunch with a friend today and I jogged today and I'll, I'm in meetings today and then I'll, you know, go home and hang out with the family.
0: One of the other things that people don't necessarily take the time to do when they're working on their dream is to plot out thinking time because we're such a productivity driven culture. And I'm guilty of this, too, trying to make sure that, you know, in, in our pursuit of trying to make every second count that we also allow time to have shower moments, as you've called them.
1: So for me, in the next two weeks, I'm trying to have 10 hours of silence. Um, And I'm on the way to work. It's 15 minutes of just quiet. I mean, because my commute isn't intense. So for me, 15 minutes, and there's a couple thoughts that I, I walked away with. And I thought, okay, well, I can do that. So it can be as simple as that. I mean, again, it's that all or nothing principle. Where you're loud, 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 loud and then fear tells you you got to be perfect at it. You have to be a monk and go to a, like a vista like monastery cabin with a, you know, a timber wolf that you befriend and that's the only way to have silence. And you go, nah, like I can squeeze 10 minutes into my day um, and here's where I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I, I have to be deliberate and measure it or it doesn't like it doesn't organically magically happen.
0: Now, as you do those thinking times, is it more about solitude and, and trying to just hone hearing, you know, your voice or God's voice or it, are you trying to come up with, you know, are you capturing during those times? Are you saying, okay, ooh, that's a good blog post. Let me write that later.
1: No, no. If I, I don't write anything down in the moment because then it's a brainstorming time. Mm. You know, I just kind of drive and, you know, and if I can't remember it 10 minutes later, and I'm at my desk, it, maybe it wasn't the greatest idea.
0: Because I could see I could see fear kind of jumping in and saying, hey, I'm going to rob your solitude by no, making you think that's the greatest idea ever, and if you don't write it down right now, it's gone.
1: No, it's that idea of you have to kind of monetize every moment of the day. Yeah. And then, then you're being just as productive as any other moment. So no, if I, if I take a notepad into my quiet time, it's not quiet time.
0: Oh, that's good. Seriously, I had never thought of that. So yeah, just the solitude of it and just the... When I go on walks, I'm putting on headphones, but... The days that I don't are the days where I actually think. And, sure. uh, that's, that's the productive. That's, okay. I, I just said it. I just call it productive again. Well, it's productive, but it's a different kind of productive. You're still getting something done that's very necessary, but it's not something. Again, I love the term you just put is like, we've got to monetize every moment of the day. Yeah. Well, it looks like our time is coming near to a close. I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know, the book coming out. Obviously, it's coming out in about three weeks. People can pre-order it right now. I'm part of the launch group for the book, and I saw that they just announced in there pre-sales already are doing very well. So again, my prediction is going to come true. It's going to be a bestseller. It's all about the five stages. It's got practical action steps in the back. There's that social media section, which really I I was not expecting and it kind of blew me away. But if people pre-order right now, they get like $250 worth of bonus stuff.
1: It's really exciting. It's such a benefit for me to work with Dave because Dave hates hype. Like he'll celebrate something that's great all day, but he won't ever be the guy that's like, if you order today, you'll get double and here's something worth $4 million dollars. So when we sat down to talk about the book, we really said, "Let's make this good stuff." And so, the average book is fifty thousand words. We created a thirty thousand word ebook about called the Hater Handbook about dealing with criticism. You know, which is not some like you know how it is these days. People put like forty words together in a PDF and they're like, "Sign up for my email and get my free ebook." Mm-hmm. Like it has forty words in it. It's like a postcard. And so you get that, you get four sections of the quitter conference audio. You went to the event. Those aren't available anywhere else. Um, you get video from start night. You get the three stages to every awesome idea. And you get the ebook too. Like that's what's been fun. People will say, hey, I'd like to pre-order the ebook," And I'll say, well, why don't you just get it free? And they go, that's awesome. So yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's real stuff. And it disappears the day of the book is released.
0: Good to know. Pre-ordered the- a hard copy so that I could be able to, uh, give that away. Cause I knew I'd get the ebook for free. So, uh, perfect. So, and also you, I know you've recorded, but not yet released anything yet. The John Cuff podcast. When is that coming? Any ideas yet?
1: Uh, I don't know when the final, the final release date is. Um, the team is putting together some great interviews. The first person we interviewed was Chris Gilbo. Nice. Yeah. And he's just fantastic. Such a Such a humble guy. Really, really liked his interview. And he, you know, his goal was to travel around the world, every country. And so, and he had, he only had one left when I talked to him. And I asked him if it was Canada, if he had saved Canada for the very last one. He laughed and he said, no, it's not Canada. Um, so good to know. Um, and then, yeah, and just had fun with him, got some real information, but also had fun. But yeah, we've got, a, we've got a studio here. We've got access to some really talented interviews. I mean, I've, in the Entree Leadership podcast, I got to interview Dan Kathy, and Simon Sinek and Tony Shea from Zappos. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I love Entree Leadership podcast. So everybody should check that out and check out John's when it comes out. I'll just say this. It's not been average talking to you. It's been awesome.
1: Oh, great. Well, it's always fun to reconnect with you, Eric. I appreciate you doing this.
0: Yeah. And I'll put uh, links to everything in the show notes where people can go pre-order the book and links to, you know, heck, Entree Leadership Podcast and your blog and everything else so people can connect with what you're doing. This is definitely a time for everybody to get on board.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, man.
0: No problem. Well, that wraps up another awesome episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again to John Aka for taking the time to talk with me about the new book, Start. And again, you really ought to pick up the book. You can pre-order a copy at com slash startbook. That'll take you to the page where you can not only get... The first chapter for free via email right now, but you can also pre-order it and get the $250 worth of bonus materials. And there's even a trailer for the book there you can watch, beyondthetodolist.com slash startbook. Go ahead and tweet John at J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F and myself at E-R-I-K-J-F-I-S-H-E-R. Let us know how you enjoyed the episode, and if this is your first episode of the podcast, subscribe to all the other past great episodes that we've got. They're for free. Go get them, beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes, and we will see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.